Lester, the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. All hit radio. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Won't you turn your Hello, this is PJ Ewing. You are listening to Lester the Nightfly. We're going to have a lot of fun today. I have a guest today, an opera singer, a very gifted young singer. Chris Oglesby, welcome to Lester the Nightfly. Thank you so much, PJ. Happy to be here. Really glad you're here. We met months ago uh, in the spring, and it was around the Giulio Gari competition. You were a prize winner. You sang for everyone. Uh, it, it was a pretty good episode in your life, I have to believe. What was that all about? Oh, man. So I have just come officially out of schooling in December. Uh, well, I say schooling. After grad school, I did an, a residency at Utah Opera and then a residency at San Francisco Opera as an Adler Fellow, which that ended in December. And so until my next uh, employment, basically, I had several months where I uh, was doing a bunch of odd jobs and was like, you know what, this is the time for me to throw my hat into a lot of competitions and learned a lot about myself and a lot about the industry. And I did like around 10 to 15 competitions. Wow. Yeah. So, and I'm hoping to never have to do any again. <laughs> <laughs> is it the stress is just, or the logistics? Or? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all of that. It's, you just don't realize, and I didn't realize, how much time, money, and effort goes into four minutes, you know? And what I've also realized is you can't control those four minutes, which is tough when you can become kind of a control freak. And a lot of artists are, you know, you want to micromanage everything you do. The joy of live performance is not there because you feel like it feels more like recording. You feel like you can't make a mistake. I kind of all found this out this spring is that huh. a lot of the things that inspire me to do opera, which is taking risks, being creative in the moment that has to kind of go away and you just do what you practice. So for me, it was a lot of effort and the return on investment, regardless of how I placed or didn't place the return on investment for me, the thing that I can always count on is the performance. And that kind of took a side, uh, you know, it, it, it took a side seat and that I was not prepared for. And, uh, I'm not super looking forward to having or for wanting to do again. Is it because it sapped away the art and you were just trying to hit the points that you know for that aria? Like you want to deliver four minutes and that's it. Like it's all about the four minutes. So you don't have the context. You don't have a stage. You don't have all the trappings of opera. You just have to deliver the goods uh, vocally, I guess. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. It feels... Um, it's it's some it's some weird cross section between uh, 
a sterilization of the sport of opera. And it's kind of like the uncanny valley almost because huh. yeah, you're right. Without the context, the trappings of opera, the big thing for me as a performer is the character of opera. If I'm jumping in to sing four minutes and I have, you know, six other songs they could choose from, I'd be ready to jump into a character, which in the show, you, generally a lot of these arias happen after you've known the character for an hour. And there's, there's an intimacy that's created by spending time with the character, the audience with you. And so these arias really are great offerings of vulnerability and that doesn't happen in competitions. And so, you know, it's like trying to be your most charming self at speed dating. No matter what you tell yourself you feel, it feels vapid. It's, it's false. Yeah, it's false. And so, you know, you make the best of it. But what really brings me and what keeps me uh, in the art form is the interplay of characters and the connection with the audience and that drive to be vulnerable and to allow them to be vulnerable with themselves. And that just, it can happen, but... It, there, there are a lot of things that discourage that happening with competitions. You are listening to Lester the Nightfly. We'll be right back after a little Mozart. Susana resortite Sortite opposito Of all the competitions I did, the Giulio Gari, I mean, everybody I talked to, everybody involved was super, super sweet, helpful. And <laughs> you just don't realize like the things that make a big deal with these competitions are not the prizes, are not who you're singing for. It's the little moments like riding the elevator up, who's with you, what are they saying to you? It's those, it's those flashes of humanity that really make a huge difference. And I think Giulio Gari does a really good job of being approachable in that way. That's really lovely to hear. Uh, and I will share that, of course, with our team. Chris Oglesby, we're going to start our show not with your wonderful playlist, okay. which is eye-popping. And we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Truly cannot wait, but we're going to wait. Okay. We're going to listen to your winning aria, the one you performed at the Giulio Gari competition in the spring, 
Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pronounce it correctly. I'm gonna need your help, but it's from Romeo and Juliet. That's Can right. you tell us what you sang, and then we're gonna we're gonna hear a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. I think most people know this scene. It's the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. It's Olive Soleil. It's where he's speaking poetically, hoping, just wishing for Juliet to come to the window, come to the balcony, and uh, it's the first time. Uh, we really kind of see into Romeo. His friends have gone. He's being vulnerable for the first time. And he's like, what am I feeling? Is it? Oh, it is. It, it's love. And so then he kind of waxes eloquent as, as uh, Shakespearean heroes are wont to do. And this will be Chris from the Giulio Gari competition. It's a live recording. It's not a perfect recording, but it's, it's pretty good. This is, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to try. Olive toi soleil. Great. Huh. Okay. Absolutely. From Romeo and Juliet. Thank you. 
You are listening to Lester the Nightfly. This is Chris Oglesby. It's PJ Ewing. We're talking about music. We started out with Chris's really beautiful piece. Chris, just a little bit about that, then we'll move on. In terms of selecting an aria, which is such a big deal for these competitions, getting the right material for your voice, were there a lot of arias that you went through? Was this an obvious choice? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, wow. PJ, that's a great question. I'm good. I'm really good at this. <laughs> I think this is basically true for most performers doing competitions and auditions. You kind of have a bag of maybe 15 arias that you know that you can wake up any day, regardless of being sick and sing. And from those, you offer a, a lot of different competitions and um, auditions give you what they want. They're like, we want this language, this language, this language, one of your choosing. And so for Julio Gari, I don't remember what I offered, but I think I offered like five arias. And so there's, a, there's so much game and uh, kind of trying to game the system with what you offer and what you hope they'll listen to. Uh, but honestly, at the end of the day, you're only guaranteed to sing the thing that you offer. So you have to show them what you feel really good doing. Uh, for a tenor though, that kind of sucks because if you don't sing high notes, they don't care. So you can sing something that is very, very difficult, incredibly intelligent, very, very well sung, very well characterized. But if it doesn't have a B flat plus, no one is interested. So that, and also the amount of arias in the repertoire that don't have a B flat is surprisingly a lot. Um, I mean, of the arias from the roles that I do, I probably have 40 that I can't offer for competitions because nobody cares. Uh, so that being said, uh, Oliver Toisole has three B flats. So, you know, the, the roller coaster is hard enough and people agree that it's hard enough that you can kind of ride it into anything. Um, but yeah, this, this season I've been starting with Alabetuasole or Kejeli Ramanina from uh, La Boheme. Sure. The sure. tough part about being a lyric tenor and about offering, you know, kind of the best of tenor arias is that every single person listening has Pavarotti in their head. They have, um, you know, they have Placido, they have Richard Tucker, they have all these different voices of the past in what is their perfect performance because all these judges are honestly 50 to 80 years old and they heard these people live. And so you as a 25, 30, even 35 year old are never going to compare. So once you're past that, you just buckle up and do your best. So, yeah. So I, in the semifinals, I think I sang Gejeli Ramanina and then they, no, I'm lying. I'm lying to you. Don't, don't I do sang, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sang Alave Twasole. And then they're like, can we just hear uh, the C of KJ de Manina? Singing 3B flats wasn't enough. People, you know, they, they want to put you through it and uh, make sure that you can sing what you offer. So I sang like 30 seconds of uh, Rodolfo's aria just to prove that I could sing a C. Um, in, in real life, you would never sing two arias back to back in any opera. Um, but yeah, so then they decided for the finals to just have me sing some Romeo. I'm learning so much about this competition from you <laughs> just right now. I mean, yeah. so interesting. I had no idea that it was that specific. The needs were so, you know, particular in oh, yeah. terms of judging a singer. Did not know that. Did not know that. Well, okay. We're moving to your list, man. You have created uh, one of the most interesting lists of music I have ever seen. 
Oh, okay, great. You are in the company of a very short list of people that, with whom I've spoken, interviewed uh, for this show. The one that strikes me is Etienne de Rocher. He is a rock and roll guy, also from San Francisco. He lives mm-hmm. in Athens, Georgia now. The oh, band Athens, is called, yeah. yeah. The band is called Haunted Shed. And okay. I fell in love with this record last year. I, he just came out with a single Bowie cover just like three days ago. And I sent him a note, but he came up with this absolutely cryptic, obscure, I didn't know anything really interesting list there are a couple other people but your list is incredibly uh, dense it's incredibly um diverse but it also i know shares a lot about your brain your musical brain and (laughs) what you what you gravitate towards and so i don't understand your brain i don't know you that well but i'm excited to get to know you through this music really really because the selections i did not know almost all of them Really? And they were marvelous and they had me hitting repeat truly over and over again. And a, a particularly a couple of them, I just, I, I, I'm obsessed now with them. Oh my gosh. It's, I'm so excited to hear which ones those were. Oh yeah. Well, you, you, you if you thought hard, you'd guess, but I, we're going to, we'll get there. <laughs> we're going to start out with uh, a live recording of a song that I know so well. So I, I was like, oh, okay. Aguas de Mar. So sure, sure. I mean, that's recorded by about a billion people. And you uh-huh. come up with a live recording of Getz and Gilberto. Yes. From 76. Um, from 76. Oh man, from uh, the record is called Gets Gilberto 76. Let's take a listen to this one. It's Aguas de Marzo, and then we'll talk about it. Great. Um caco de vidro é a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol É peroba do campo, nó da madeira Caingá, candeia, o matista pereira É madeira de vento, tombo da ribanceira É o mistério profundo, queira ou não queira É o vento ventando, é o fim da ladeira É a viga, é o vão, festa da comieira É a chuva chovendo, é conversa ribeira Das águas de massa, é o fim da canseira é o pé, é o chão, é a mastradeira Passarinho na mão, pedra de atiradeira Uma ave no céu, uma ave no chão Um regado, uma fonte, um pedaço de pão É o fundo do poço, é o fim do caminho No rosto desgosto, é um pouco sozinho É um estrepo, é um prego, é uma ponta, é um ponto Um pingo, pingando, uma conta, um conto Peixe é um gesto, é uma prata brilhando A luz da manhã, o tijolo chegando É a lenha, é o dia, é o fim da picada É a garrafa de cano, estilhaço na estrada Projeto da casa, o corpo na cama O carro enguiçado, é a lama, é a lama Um passo, um aponto, um sapo, um Um resto de mato na luz da manhã São as águas de março fechando o verão É promessa de vida no teu coração Uma cobra, um pau, é João, é José Um espinho na mão, um corte no pé São as águas de março fechando o verão É promessa de vida no teu coração É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho Resto de topo um pouco sozinho Passa uma ponte, um sapo marrom, um belo horizonte, uma febre tessão. São as águas de março fechando o verão. É promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, o fim do caminho. O resto de topo um pouco sozinho. 
Um caco de vidro é a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol São as águas de março, fechando o verão É promessa de vida no teu coração É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho O resto te toco um pouco sozinho um caco de vidro é a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol É peroba do campo, nó da madeira Caingá, candeia, é uma dista pereira É madeira de vento, tombo da ribanceira É o um mistério profundo, queira ou não queira É o vento ventando, é o fim da ladeira É a viga, é o vão, testa da comieira É a chuva chovendo, é conversa ribeira Das águas de massa, é o fim da canseira é o pé, é o chão, é a marcha estradeira Passarinho na mão, pedra de atiradeira Uma ave no céu, uma ave no chão Regato, uma fome, pedaço de pão É o fundo do poço, é o fim do caminho No rosto desgosto, é um pouco sozinho É um estrepe, é um prego, é uma ponta, é um pão Um pingo pingando, uma conta, um conto Um peixe é um gesto, é uma prata brilhando A luz da manhã Tijolo chegando, é além, é o dia, é o fim da picada É a garrafa de cano, estilhaço na estrada O projeto da casa, o corpo na cama O carro enguiçado, é a lama, é a lama Um passo, uma ponta, um sapo, um marrão Um resto de mato na luz da manhã São as águas de março fechando o verão É promessa de vida no teu coração Uma cobra, um pau, é João, é José Um espinho Corte no pé, são as águas de março fechando o verão. É promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho. O resto de toco um pouco sozinho. Um passo, uma ponte, um sapo, um marrão. Um belo horizonte, uma febre teçã. São as águas de março fechando o verão. É promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, o fim do caminho. De vidro é a vida, é o sol, é a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol São as águas de março, fechando o verão É promessa de vida no teu coração to Lester the Nightfly of Chris Oglesby. He's an opera singer, but he's giving us the goods. We've got a whole bunch of different music to listen to. We just heard Aguas de Marzo in Portuguese. That's an Antonio Carlos Jobim track. Uh, Elise Regina and Tom Jobim did that famously. That was the original recording where they they went back and forth on that one. I've heard a number of renditions. This was magical, a faster pace 
to my ear, actually, in terms mm -hmm. of rhythm. Um, how did you find this, select this one? What are you hearing here? <laughs> okay. So, um, this is, I really got into Bossa Nova during the pandemic. Uh, my, <laughs> my wife and I started curating cocktail playlists, basically, for uh, different games we like to play, different things we like to drink. And so, for instance, we have... Um, a radio list that's kind of structured around Ahmad Jamal's Buenciana. And that's our Boggle playlist. Um, this, however, uh, is our Negroni playlist and our uh, Aperol Spritz playlist, which is uh, centered around uh, Portuguese jazz. So this album is super important to me because the original album, I think, with Stan Getz and Jean-Gabriel was it was in the 60s. Yeah, somewhere in the 60s, yeah. Brazil was done with it, but they there was enough interest in the States to do another album. And the deal was Getz and Gilberto had been touring together and the band, Getz's band, had learned to respond almost um, instinctively to what Jao wanted to do. And so the really beautiful thing about the 76 album is it's live. It is unedited. You can hear the audience. Like once they understand what a song is coming up, they get really, really excited. And I love that. If you haven't listened to the whole album, go and listen to the reprise of the first song. It's the last song. Uh, it's, it's stunning to listen to them back to back. Você não mereceu, eu quis a ilusão Agora dou sou eu Madrugada já rompeu Você vai me abandonar Eu sinto que o perdão você não mereceu what is so cool is the interplay of his guitar and the uh, and, and Getz's drummer. The name escapes me, but you can hear how rhythmically they're just talking back and forth, and it's fantastic. And also, it's so crazy that basically a, a text that is stream of thought can be so beautifully put together and really woven as this like wonderful thought poem. And you know, we're so used to chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, whatever. And this is just stream of consciousness is all these beautiful things that are not always enjoyable, but they are beautiful. And just set to this very understated, rhythmically pulsing, but still it feels it feels easy, even though no part of this song is easy. Cannot wait to dive into that full record. I think for everyone listening, you're going to have a chance to dive into all kinds of records based upon these individual songs that Chris is bringing. Yeah, when I was doing this playlist, I yes, or whenever I was doing it, I had a list of like mm, 40 songs and to pare it down, I was just like, okay, I have to get down to like, what albums do I listen to on repeat? And I have like, for every song I have on this playlist, I have like five or six other artists that are equally as important, but I try to pick one song that was emblematic of that genre. You did a great job. And that's what we're trying to do here. We all can't listen to everything. And right. so through your lens, we're going to get a look at some terrific music. And I enjoy this so much because I don't know all of these records, all of these songs, of course, nobody, no human being does. Yeah. And it's such a pleasure for me to have someone else do the work. You're picking, <laughs> you're picking the songs for us. It's great. Yeah. We're moving on completely different category. This is a garden shed. Oh, yes. 
Tyler, the creator, is the main artist here. The album is Flower Boy. It came out in 2017. Let's hear it. you've taken us to a whole new place this is absolutely musically lovely 
I'm so glad you love it. And I am not a hip hop person. And that you might want to write me off as a listener. Oh, PJ, how limited are you? It's the most important art form and, and etc. I just have had trouble finding the right hip hop. And I, there was some early days, old school tribe called quest, but I haven't yeah. found enough with imagination musically, musically, not lyric lyricism. Oh, PJ, let's, let's go, man. Let's go. Uh, uh, suddenly gorgeous yes. melodically. And, and it's an incredible collection of thoughts. I'll stop Chris. Why is this on our list? Oh, so Tyler, the creator, I think is a brilliant musician. Uh, this album when it came out i was uh in my utah opera residency and just kind of listened to it and then i went to marilla and then i couldn't stop listening to it and i i must have listened to the entire album once every two days uh, my roommate and i also just like played albums back and forth for each other but this one um is a is a beautiful shift in tone that heralds a lot of rappers becoming more vulnerable and less violent and well, at least uh, textually. <laughs> and uh, this album, Flower Boy, I, I recommend you sit down and listen to the whole thing. He was kind of brought into the spotlight very young. He and his and his his group of people that he hung out with, uh, Odd Future, they were they were immediately caught up in um, basically Hollywood. There was a show made about this group of friends. They made a lot of mixtapes. They had a lot of uh, rappers and stuff. And it was very apparent very early on that every single person that was in this sphere was very talented. Um, we have Frank Ocean, Earl Sweatshirt. Um, a lot of these guys are now individual artists, huge careers, but they started uh, with Tyler. Kali Uchis, Estelle, Jaden yeah. Smith. I mean, I, I look, this record is full of amazing names. Oh, yeah. Won a Grammy in 2018. Yeah. I mean, you're right. This is a signature record, this Flower Boy. Counting sheep on say they had a float. Carpet with my baby mama ate a dollar profit from the coffee I poke. Rent a center calling their day. Nobody home, knocking on the door. Now I skirt, 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 skirt. That's all the only dream that I can afford. Now I roll through the I ride in California. These frog over goggles. I'm leaning out the window. OJ shining on me. Simpson shining on me. Slick circles float, bro. Off the squad. Run it, run it, run it, run it. I run. Okay, so I was not allowed to listen to rap growing up uh, from a very uh, fundamental uh, church background. Uh, <laughs> I had to listen to rap in secret. And once I really started diving into it uh, in college, it became very clear to me that what I was really interested in with music is an album that I could listen to all the way through. And a lot of rappers that I liked, they were mixtapes. There was not a through line. And one thing that really stood out to me about Tyler is that each album has its own personality, its own character. Whether or not it's um, 
it's who Tyler is at that point. He creates this character in, in, in so many ways. Uh, they're like mini operas. You get introduced to these different characters. They, they play along. It, it has a nice arc. And he does a really good job of lining up hooks and tracks with with other elements that are quintessential to hip hop and rap, but you really leave with more questions than answers. And I think that that is such a powerful takeaway from any album that is worth its salt. If you are interested in learning about hip hop and rap, the entrance fee can be pretty high. And if you listen to the wrong stuff, you can be put off. And I, I know a lot of people like that. And I think the same thing is true of opera. People have an idea, they listen to the wrong stuff, they don't get into it. And any genre of music is a relationship and you have to say hi how are you before you can ask someone a really intense question and i think that we need more guides uh than we currently have access to and that we're currently talking with so i think if you like tyler the creator take a listen to open mic eagle okay. he is maybe one of the most intelligent lyricists i've ever heard uh really nice uh jazz uh elements running through there uh, it was one that was on the list that I had to pare down. And I then see. I think Tyler is also where my interests are. I have a lot of like hip hop, jazz, like Tribal Quest, um, the, the lyrics and the text that really move me. But then also I do like a lot of in your face uh, rap. And that's being from Atlanta. Like I grew up with uh, Ludacris and Outkast, listen to Busta Rhymes. And so like now I like Vince Staples and I think that Tyler does a really good job of melding um, rap that people recognize as rap, R&B and hip hop, and he kind of makes it his own. So I think from, for me, he is the confluence of all the uh, artists in this category that I really like. 2020, 2020 vision. Cupid hit me, Cupid hit me with precision. I wonder if you look both ways and you cross my mind. I said, I said, I'm sick of, sick of, sick of, sick of chasing. You're the one that's always running through my daydream. I, I can only see your face when I close my eyes. Can I get a kiss? And can you make it last forever? I love what you said about this being a little bit operatic and I didn't want to be corny and like oh Chris is an opera singer so it's going to be all operatic but boy this really did feel like a, a whole journey in one you know three minute song four minutes no song. no I, I'm, I have always been a bad storyteller and I get to the punchline too quickly <laughs> and so I've no, and so I've really like I have thought about how to tell stories and I have a, a great admiration for good storytellers and 
I think that is my attraction to long-term stories, operas, albums. If you can, if you can plant seeds, I can see you water them, and then we get to harvest them together. I think that there is, like, that's that's a really beautiful investment that a lot of times is missing in our fast-paced, on your phone, dopamine hit world. Yeah. We're going to move on. We're going to Sufjan Stevens, Ooh, okay. who I remember from way back when. He's from Michigan, from Detroit, right. where I grew up originally. And he had a record, Come On, Feel the Illinois. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, yeah. And then he did Say Yes to Michigan, which was the tagline for the state or something like that. And he was going to do, do you recall this? He was going to do every a record state? for every album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for every state. Sorry. sorry. Yes, you said yeah, it. Yeah, you no, said no, you're it. right. Yeah. And uh, he, he backed off from that, that promise. Thank God. I had lost track of him uh, somewhere in the middle. And, he, and the critics found him disappointing after this great promise. Yet smart people like you keep bringing Sufjan Stevens' work from recent years. And each one is, is absolutely fascinating. Let's take a listen. This is called Seven Swans from the record Seven Swans by mm -hmm. Sufjan Stevens. We'll hear it and then we'll talk about it. Thank you. 
When you lost track of Sufjan Stevens, was it was it when he came out with Age of Ads, that album? I wrote that in my notes. That is exactly <laughs> the moment. I like, I don't know what you're doing here. It, it, I'm sure it's artistic and beautiful. I don't get it. That's exactly what happened to me. PJ, I lost track of him at that moment also. And then I, I recently came back to him and it, it honestly took 10 years of me growing up to appreciate where he was at that point, him being 10 years older than me, to appreciate him at that point and then how he has since where he is now uh, with his most recent album. Um, each song has an arc. Each album has an arc. And now looking at his albums, they have an arc for who he is and where he where he's thinking. And a lot of times, I think it's really beautiful to see artists singing songs because they're popular and they maybe don't agree with everything that they're singing. And there are some truths that were truth for them. And they're not any less important and that's why they're singing them, but maybe they, their heart is not quite where it used to be. And there's something like achingly beautiful about that. And I think that Sufjan really captures that for me. This album, Seven Swans, is um, one that I can't listen to often because I always have a very deep emotional response to it. Growing up in the Fundamentalist Baptist Church, I went to a, a Church of God undergrad, and then from there started working at other churches. And then uh, now I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with different ideas and how they affect my identity. And there are a lot of albums that I wouldn't let myself listen to when I was younger because I knew they would make me ask questions that I didn't have answers to. And I think that this album is really about spiritual certainty and doubt. And that's a theme that is really powerful to me that he kind of always touches on. It references biblical illusion almost nonstop, which whether or not you're questioning it, doubting it, whatever, if you grew up in the church, you understand these references and they are visceral and you react without thinking. There's also something very haunting about the sparseness of this album it's it's prepared piano it's very open piano banjo a couple other instruments but there's it's not super overproduced there's not a lot of drum it's very raw and it makes me raw listening to it and this track it's the microcosm of this album and honestly of of all of the um output that he does that affects me deeply I'm going to go down this path, thanks to you. Uh, I did note the biblical texts and the religious tone of the entire piece, yeah. which puzzled me because I don't know his stance on religion and what he's going through and what he's questioning. So I, this is not, I, I would say just not for the faint of heart, because if you're going to go in, it's going to be, a, I imagine, a bit of a journey. This is from 2004, so this is ancient days for Sufyan today. I, it seems like he was trying to work through right. something at this moment. I, I imagine that was happening. I don't know enough, but I'm looking forward to learning more. And, and you know, so far you've given me all kinds of records to dive into, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on the the challenge because this is really really interesting stuff. Arias are where characters feel emotion, and they're usually soliloquies, and they're grandiose. Great. Those are the hits, right? People people know them, whatever. The information, the, the plot, 
the things that make the arias the arias happen in the ensembles, they happen in the recitative. And I think we've, we really, really quickly, because we're not listening to hear, we're listening just while we do other things. And so since it doesn't have a pretty melody or a hook, we tend to like not remember it and we don't forget about it. But going back and listening, my first time listening to Sufjan Stevens when I was in high school and in college, I was listening for the music and, and I loved it. It was great. Going back and listening now, I'm listening for the text and it is, it is incredible to me where things align and where they don't align purposefully. And it has just added this entire other layer to his work and has increased my respect for his musicianship. I find it very interesting what you're saying about the recitative, which is the story telling yeah. in between the songs in an opera, the recit recitation, right? Recitative. Right. And some of the most lovely music is hiding right there. And yeah, it's got a function. It's furthering the plot. But I have, uh, we used to listen to, this is way back when, Atari was new. Okay, if you can believe that. <laughs> and my sisters and I are in the family room. We're playing Atari and we had right there a record player and we would listen to the Barber of Seville, the first side of the first record. <laughs> over and over and over again we just pick it up put it back at the beginning and keep playing atari <laughs> and in a lot of there was recitative in the middle there was storytelling getting us set up for the the full thing and i remember those notes to the second and they're some of the most lovely pieces of music and they're not the hits at all they're, they're just the stuff you get through to get to the big songs exactly so i love your point about that yeah. i love that animal collective the oh, song boy. is called cobwebs man i don't i don't i know the name i don't know animal collective you're this, about to pj i know and this water curses is a little ep you didn't even pick <laughs> a big record i know theirs. i know let's listen we're going to listen to cobwebs this is from 2008 it's a little ep long lost to time i have to believe yep. but chris is bringing it back to us right here on lester the nightfly
beautiful stuff. So we don't have time for all of my interview with Chris right here, so we'll do it again next week. Part two coming with some Steely Dan, some Fleet Foxes, some Beastie Boys, some more opera. It'll be a lot of fun. Right here, same place, same time, on Lester the Nightfly. Have a great week. Connecting you and me It's a sticky case The more I move the less I'm free Ever since I was a boy I found new ways to Fuel my porridge Sometimes electric Organic like the strawberry has been a PJ DJ production.